Hello, Cardinals fans. Welcome back to Chirps. Tara and Alex with you again this week. And this is a rare occasion where we're actually recording the show on the day that you will hear it. So we can almost react in real time now as opposed to trying to preface everything with, well, when you're listening to this, <laughs> and then you can hear our honest reactions, which is perfect timing after a, a pretty frightening ninth inning collapse against the Cubs on Tuesday night. So we'll get to that in a minute, Alex. But I have to say, I've heard a lot of uh, feedback. I shouldn't say a lot of feedback. That's probably generous. I have had some significant feedback about uh, our conversation about the Home Run Derby in last week's episode. People seem to have some of the same problems that I had with it. And your suggestion seems to uh, to have some merit with a lot of people who have responded to that episode. How do you feel a week later about your on-the-spot solution to the troubles with the Home Run Derby? Well, let me first explain what that solution is in case there is someone listening who uh, was perhaps not tuning in last week. Uh, I'm sure that they're out there. Uh, So we were talking about uh, what's wrong with the Home Run Derby and just like, it's not great from a production standpoint. It's clunky. You have all these different rounds. Sometimes, often the person who hits the most home runs does end up winning the Home Run Derby. My suggestion was, and I have one little thing to add um, that I think would make it even better, but my suggestion was to have four reps from the National League going against four reps from the American League, like preferably the best home run hitters in each league. Uh, if you want to have like a captain, you know, whoever's leading the league in home runs, like pick his three, you know, teammates, that'd be cool too. However you want to do it, doesn't matter. But you would have like, if the all-star game, let's use this year as an example, is being played in National League ballpark, and they're the home team. So a guy from the American League will bat first. Think of it like four innings. Um, and he'll get 10 outs. So there's no clock. He'll get 10 outs, um, just like they did it back in the old day. And then a guy from the National League will bat um, and do that four times. And then that's it. Whoever, whichever league has the most home runs at the end of those four rounds or innings, whatever you want to call them, that league wins the home run derby and whoever hits the most home runs total, even if it's a guy from the other league can be given something, whatever. What I wanted to add, because I think one thing that the clock really did help with the home run derby is it got rid of that thing that used to happen back in the day when you had 10 outs, when a guy was just sitting there letting a bunch of pitches pass because mm, he wasn't yeah. getting a good pitch. And it kind of really sped that up and you weren't watching just like, you know, it, you feel like there was a sense of urgency. So here's here's my amendment um, or I guess addition. You get 10 outs or 25 pitches or actually, or, or 20 or 25 pitches, whatever comes first. I think 20. Okay. So like you get 10 outs or 20 pitches, meaning okay. you're going to need to be swinging 50% of the time. Uh Maybe even more than that. And if you just happen to have a guy out there who's throwing you lousy pitches, then that's, hey, that's kind of on your team for not picking a better pitcher. But I think that would kind of combine the two, um, the two good features of both, meaning it kind of speeds it up. You're not just sitting there waiting for a guy to get through his 10 outs. Um, But it also is not going to like be that clock thing where they're throwing another pitch while a ball is still in the air. It can still right. be more of a 
it won't be as frenetic and unenjoyable to the fans watching both in the stands and at home. So I Here's let me my, ask you, what would you think? Twenty or twenty five? Do you I like I like the yeah, I like the limit. My question though is so because if they like Pete Alonso hit thirty five homers in the first round. So <laughs> that would be more than twenty five pitches. So yes. do they get as long would a it be, make counts, more sense to be like a home run counts as a pitch. Okay, so so, you, so no one could hit more than twenty five pitch twenty five home runs. No one could hit more than twenty five home runs. In, in what happens runs. then if multiple people hit twenty five home runs? No one's going to hit twenty five home runs. No <laughs> one's going to go hit thirty five. He but he didn't go thirty five for thirty five, did he? No, but he went hit thirty five. So my point is like if he t- if he only took five pitches, yeah, let five pitches pass, and then in three minutes or four minutes or whatever he he hit thirty five. So are we? Limiting the number of home runs someone could hit by only giving them a certain number of pitches to work with. Well, or sure. is it like you can but, only you can only take ten pitches, ten well, outs take ten pitches. You have so if you keep hitting home runs, you can keep hitting. Or is it just like a, a hard cap? There's a, a wide array of possibilities. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you could only get eleven pitches because you only hit one home run and made ten outs. Okay. Okay. You could hit 23 home runs and see the maximum 25 pitches, and meaning you only made two outs. But no one's going to do that. No one is going 23 for 25. Like, I think that's enough pitches to move it along and also t- tell the batter, I need to be up here swinging. People are watching to see me swing. So both the pitcher and batter know, like, look, we have 25 pitches to do as much damage as we can, or 10 outs, whichever comes first. And I think that will get away from what used to happen, I remember when it was the 10 outs thing, again, which I think is the preferred way, is sometimes it would get a little just boring watching a guy, you know, like not get that perfect pitch, if that makes sense. I'm curious Um, how many pitches were thrown in like Pete Alonso's 35 home run round. From watching it, could you take an educated guess? I mean, was I mean, he obviously, hitting... it's more than thirty-five. <laughs> well, sure, but was he hitting a home run fifty percent of the time, by your estimation, or seventy-five percent of the time? I would say probably closer to seventy. I don't remember what okay. the percentage was. I and they were saying it during the broadcast. It was probably like between sixty-five and seventy-five percent. Okay, were home runs. Okay, so, yeah. I, that's interesting. You it's might, an interesting concept. You might see a guy who who is able to hit like 18 or 19 home runs. And that'd be absolutely amazing if he's able to do that with just 20 in 25 pitches. Now, people might say, well, that's not fair. He only made six outs. He didn't get his 10 outs. Well, yeah, you get 25 pitches or 10 outs. Um, and a guy who's made 10 outs doesn't deserve, let's say a guy makes 10 outs and 12 pitches. No, you had your chance. You don't need any more pitches. We've seen what you can do. Uh, you had plenty of time to hit home runs and you weren't doing it. So you can sit down now. Yeah, that's interesting. I I like the idea of something that keeps it from dragging on forever. You seem a little um, not sold on on my because uh, I don't but... like the the one thing that was so incredible about that first round is the number of guys that hit twenty eight home runs, and then the guy behind them had to hit thirty <laughs> to had to hit twenty nine to move on to the next round. Or I think you lose some of the fireworks if there's a like a hard cap on if you happened to go. 25 for 25 on swings 
you you don't get another pitch. Well, so, one, we can agree no one's going 25 for 25 home runs. Even I, and unless, I agree with I, that. Unless they're using the craziest juice ball in course field, I still don't think that's happening. Yeah. I just uh, it's an interesting I would have to I'd have to sit on that for a little while and see or maybe like see it play out and see, what I don't want to happen what I wouldn't want to happen mm-hmm. um is to cuz the first round of the home run derby was awesome like sure. super fun to watch really exciting lots of things happened that you were like what is going on right now this should not be possible that's what I don't want to lose. But I think well, for me, all the extra rounds are where it's like, okay, but now nothing's going to live up to that first round. Think, so, of it like, think of it like this. And this might not be the best comparison because there is a clock in this event too. But the three-point contest at All-Star Weekend in the NBA, you, there is a limited supply of shots you can make. And to sure. me, that doesn't take away from the excitement of it, however, however much excitement you want to say that event garners is up to you um it can be exciting sometimes sometimes it's not at all fun to watch but i i won i don't think i think it'll still be exciting if let's say pete alonzo comes up and in his round hits 13 home runs which to me seems like a reasonable number a very good number if you're seeing the max 25 pitches that's more than 50 percent then the guy coming up in the American League is thinking like, okay, Pete just hit 13. I need to I need to at least be around there. Let's say they're the first ones up. I need to at least be around there, hit at least 13 home runs or at least 10 home runs to keep the American League, you know, kind of in this fight. So the guys coming up after me can, you know, just keeping I need to keep pace with this guy. Uh, I don't think you would lose I don't think you would lose that excitement that you were just describing. But I also yeah. didn't watch the Home Run Derby, so maybe I'm not the best person to say. Who knows? No, it's interesting. I think it it changes the kind of excitement to some extent because it's not the same excitement as I can't believe someone just hit 35 home runs in four minutes. But it would still be the excitement of who's going to hit the most home runs in this limited number of pitches. So I get what you're saying. Um I'm I'm like you said I'm not totally sold but that's just me. I'm very curious if um again some of the people who listened and were like hey this is cool we should do that have uh thoughts on something like that as well because that, like I, I do think that there needs to be a limit on how long it takes otherwise mm-hmm. it just gets drawn out and annoying and there's too much downtime in between where nothing's happening and you lose people. So that part I, I I'm with you. I'm just still mulling over what it would actually look like to do it that way. Fair enough. But I mean, obviously MLB is going to do everything we tell them to. So So, (laughs) this uh, this is a very, very important debate to settle. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, while you're all trying to figure out how you feel about that addition to the home run derby, the Cardinals, uh, have a lot of things to figure out. And listen, I was very hopeful that we would come into the show today feeling just a little bit better than we have in a long time about the Cardinals, even if they're playing a Cubs team that's not that impressive, that's being dismantled as we speak, that is, you know, in this sort of weird void where they don't even really know what they are anymore. Beating the Cubs always feels good. Um, with a 6-1 lead going into the ninth, you feel pretty 
comfortable with the possibilities of winning that game. Uh, well, if you didn't watch, I will spare you all the gory details, but the Cubs had a six run top of the ninth and then came Craig Kimbrell. So that wasn't going to happen. Um, and afterwards, uh, there were a lot of questions asked that Mike Schultz didn't <laughs> didn't take too kindly to. I don't even know where to start with this, Alex, except that Johan Yo- Oviedo has to be Whoa. like the unluckiest rookie ever <laughs> because the poor guy cannot get uh, get his team to a win, even when he does pitch well. And when he does his job, uh, everything sort of falls apart around him. I'm sure the uh, hitters felt very similar in yesterday's game that they started to put something together the last couple of last couple times out. And now the pitching falls apart again, like we haven't seen in uh, a little bit. So where do you want to start with where the Cardinals are? What happened yesterday? I mean, I feel like there's plenty to talk about just in terms of Tuesday's game against the Cubs and the things that followed. But where would you like to begin? Here's where I will begin. It was the type of loss, and this might sound utterly ridiculous, but I don't think I'm the only person who does this. But it was the type of loss where, I kid you not, I was laying in bed and trying to remind myself of all the good things in my life. (laughs) I'm laughing because... To to convince myself that (laughs) this is utterly meaningless in the grand scheme, this baseball game. I was, today is my son's sixth birthday. I was thinking about that. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, plenty of other, you know, things of how lucky and uh, privileged, whatever that, you know, I, I, I am. Uh, and that sounds incredibly childish, perhaps selfish. I don't know, but that's honestly how I was. That's the type of loss it was. That's how I found myself dealing with it. I'm laughing because there was a specific moment last night. Mind you, while the Cardinals were collapsing, I was also watching the NBA Finals, and I've been rooting for the Suns all along. So I had multiple uh, sports disappointments coinciding last night. Not that I'm a lifelong Suns fan. They just happened to be the team that I was rooting for in the Finals. And I, I had a very distinct moment where I was like, it is just sports. <laughs> I need to chill out. <laughs> um, because you're right. Th- it was the kind of loss. It was the kind of experience. It was the kind of disappointment where you're like, why? Why am I doing Why do I put myself in the situation? Like, I'm a little jealous of people who don't like sports on those nights because they just will never understand (laughs) the crushing blow of a game like that. And you're right. It is sometimes I think it's totally fair to reassess like, why is this affecting me in such a dramatic way? What are my priorities really? And how can I sort of re-rank things in my mind right now? Because we all do that, right? As sports fans, it's it's just part of, part of the, the deal, but it gets, a little intense sometimes when you you're feeling really good about it and it, going into the ninth inning especially coming off of the last couple of months with the cardinals and then seeing them beat the cubs at home and and all of the things that go along with that it felt like a very emotional loss in a lot of ways and i think it's frustrating in a lot of different ways i think it's one of those 
moments where you feel like, man, I, for whatever naive reason, I really thought maybe they were onto something and that there was going to be a stretch that was a little more enjoyable to watch, if nothing else. And, you know, to to know that the Cubs are in a transition phase with their organization means it feels like there's there's room to kind of capitalize on that. And it looked like they were doing it. It looked like that's where they were going. You got a good start from Johan Oviedo and and the, there were runs on the ball. All the things were moving in the right direction. And then he just kind of got slammed in the face with the reality of, okay, but <laughs> the bullpen's still not great in those middle relief roles where it's not the guys to lock down the back end of the, of the pen. It's not the guys at the end of the game that you feel like have to be there to feel confident about what's going to happen. And that's a huge piece of this puzzle, I think. And it was on full display and it's, it's frustrating when, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm rambling at this point because there are so many, so many ways that that could have gone differently. I mean, you could, you can watch Luis Garcia come in and struggle and then still get away with a win even if it's you know you give up three runs in the ninth instead of <laughs> six runs in the ninth or whatever it is um you you see Alex Reyes struggle in a pretty dramatic way after the success that he has had it it turns into a situation where you feel like you have to use those guys at the end of the game Reyes Gallegos being those guys which you didn't want to you didn't think you had to you shouldn't have needed to with a 6-1 lead going into the ninth and then you hear all of that frustration from the manager after the fact it just uh, that was a pretty as as losses go it's hard to get much worse than that in a regular season game for me I, I think it's possibly um and and maybe as more time passes this can be better reassessed um but i think it's possibly uh their worst regular season loss over the last 10 years um i do want to say a couple of things i don't blame the bullpen for that loss i blame yadier molina um and look yadier molina is a is a legend uh, we all love Yadier Molina. He is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is going to wear the Cardinals red jacket. Um, both of those will be very deserving. Uh, we praise him when he does something awesome. He can handle being criticized when, when he does something that is not awesome um, because the ratio of the two things is probably 10 to 1, and he can, he can handle that, or he should be able to handle that. You, you, you can't let that ball pass right there. I know it was ruled uh, a wild pitch, but a, a catcher of Yadier Molina's pedigree, even one who is uh, of his age, you, you have to make that play. And, and, and then Paul DeYoung. Um, I think I've only watched the replay once. I, I think a good throw, he gets that guy out. Again, that's another play that has to be made. I feel like that's not the first time We've seen Paul DeYoung when there's a runner on first and he, for a nanosecond in his head, is thinking, do I go to second with this ball or do I go to first? Where he will, that will affect the play and he will commit an error. I, I remember he did that late, I want to say in the 2019 season, where it ended up not mattering. I think it was 2019 or 2018, where he had like a two of those in the span of a couple of days. I want to say one of the games was against the Giants. Um, but I might have to go back and double check that. Uh, that's a play that has to be made. And I believe if either one of those plays are made, we're not even talking about this right now. I believe one out with one runner on six, one lead is ball game. I don't think the Cardinals lose that game. Um, 
I was completely fine with Garcia pitching the ninth. You're up 6-1. I, I wasn't even bothered by Alex Reyes coming in with the bases loaded, even though he walks 20% of batters because he doesn't give up a lot of extra base hits either. He doesn't, you know, I, I guess the fear is if he walks a guy, which he did, and then he walked another one, you're stuck with him for at least three batters. This is not, this is not the old days. Um, and so I guess the fear is if he doesn't quite ha- have it and he did not have it, then, then by the time we get him out of there, the damage could be done or the damage could be very close to being done. And I think where, so where I put the blame is on the, the infield, meaning y- Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung. Then also Schilt for not getting Reyes out of there sooner. I don't blame Schilt for going with Reyes instead of Gallegos. Um, I would not have been upset had he gone with Gallegos first either. But if I'm being perfectly honest with myself, the only reason why I would even say, like, you got to go with Gallegos there right now is just because I know the outcome of what happened. But I don't think Reyes was a terrible choice um, up 6-1, which because the time runner was on, you know, there actually was a save opportunity if you care about that. I hope that wasn't what dictated Schilt's opinion, and I really don't think it was. But look, Alex Reyes barely gives up home runs. He's only given up two home runs all year, I think. Doesn't give up a lot of extra base hits. So I think it's very reasonable for Schilt to think, like, if we got a good Alex Reyes here, you know, we, we might give up a run or two, but we're not giving up five runs. Like, like we're going to win this game. So that's a very reasonable thing to think. The minute you see Alex Reyes is not good, and it probably is not happening, I would have liked to have seen the move to Gallego sooner. Um, and that didn't happen. And by the time it did happen, I was no longer watching because I couldn't take it anymore. And like you, I switched to the NBA Finals. I was thinking like, why am I watching this? Why This agony when I should be watching a, a very important event that is happening one channel over. Uh, the last game of a league that I also love. Um, so like, where are my priorities right now? Get away <laughs> from me, stupid baseball team. And, you know, I will watch Milwaukee closed this out. Uh, even like you, I was kind of going for Phoenix for no real reason. Just, but I was I was happy either way, I guess. Um. So, I don't know what else to say about it other than that. I, I guess, you know, it's kind of crazy what I said earlier about, and I'm being serious. When I said I was like lying in bed, like thinking of like you know why this doesn't matter. Um, and, and that's during a season when the Cardinals probably aren't even good. When, when <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like that was to lose a playoff series right? Or, or in a World Series game or something like that. That was a game to keep them, what, to put them one game above 500 and maybe move them seven and a half games out of first place? Like, you know, <laughs> we might not even think about that game at the end of this season and not because the Cardinals are in the playoffs and it didn't matter – but because the Cardinals are 15 games out of first place and it didn't matter. Uh, yeah. Which is but, why in the post game, I, I found it somewhat comical that, that Mike Schultz defense of someone not named Alex Reyes or Giovanni Gallegos in the ninth was because, well, you can't throw those guys every night or you won't have anyone in September because <laughs> September might not matter much at this point, um, regardless of who you throw in the ninth. I want to, um, go back to Yadier Molina. And also one other thing before we move on, maybe to some of those comments from, from Mike Schultz afterwards, because the Yadier Molina thing is super interesting to me. I don't think anyone can 
realistically deny the impact that Yadier Molina has had on the pitching staff just sort of at large for the Cardinals during his time as the starting catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Pitchers talk about it. Pitching coaches talk about it. Managers talk about it. Unless they're all just like being paid off (laughs) by Yadier Molina to say nice things. I think there's obviously something to that over the years that has made a significant impact. We've talked about how it's impacted the running game, not just in how many times he'll catch a runner trying to steal, but in the limited number of attempts against the St. Louis Cardinals when Yadier Molina is behind the plate versus other teams, that sort of thing. And I I feel like we almost have to hedge any sort of criticism with acknowledging that for whatever reason. And I'm not really sure where that comes from, except that, like we said about Adam Wainwright a couple of weeks ago, there's so much goodwill there that you just don't really want to say anything bad about them. In a similar way, I think that's sort of where we find ourselves with Yadier Molina. But I I have to say, I've not been impressed (laughs) a number of innings with the way that Yadier Molina has, has... um, kind of, I mean, honestly, called a lot of these these games as far as pitch location and and that sort of thing uh, with an with a staff that has is going to set the record for the number of walks or or runs walked in whatever it is. Um, he's calling a lot of pitches way off the plate, like not anywhere close consecutively. You know where it's it's not like, and I watched this with um, Wade LeBlanc the other day. I mean. Wherever Yadi set up, he was hitting the glove, but he walked a couple of batters and went to a three ball count like three or four times in a row because three of the five pitches or whatever it was were called for way off the plate. And I'm not going to pretend to be a a pitching coach. I'm not going to pretend to know what the game plan was there for Molina, but that's one of the things like a number of the pass balls that may have been called wild pitches that we've seen that this year in particular seem a little bit more noticeable with Molina and a little bit more problematic with a pitching staff that needs a little bit more (laughs) coaxing through some of those difficult innings. So I don't know what that is. I don't know. Maybe someone else has a a better explanation for why we're seeing that sort of thing from Molina. Um, But I do think it's fair to call it out. I think it's fair to recognize it and say that as much as we want to put a lot of the pressure on the the pitching staff, um, the, the pitching coaches, and whatever else is involved in that mix, we praise Yadier Molina for making the pitching staff roll when it's rolling. I think it's fair to take a look at that and say what is different this year about what he's doing than he has done in the past that may not be as effective as it has been in those years past. I agree with your point 100% because we have not, not just we, not just us, uh, local media, national media has for years been very quick to praise Yadier Molina for these kind of unquantifiable things, uh, managing the pitching staff. Um, and I, I don't say that as if it's not valid. I, I think, I think there's a lot of merit to it. Totally. Um, especially if you take pitchers at their word because pitcher after pitcher has praised Yadier Molina and how he calls a game. But, but I think the fact remains that we are just kind of have to take their word for it. It is kind of this un it's not a fixed thing. It's a, it's very unquantifiable thing. So the flip side of that is kind of 
to what you were saying, what I was saying earlier, if Yadier Molina gets praised for that, then we, when we have this other thing, which Mike Maddox, which, excuse me, which Mike Maddox has caught a lot of flack for, if our catcher is the same catcher who for years was praised for being able to manage a pitching staff, um, is also the catcher during this tumultuous period of all these walks and, you know, bases loaded walks and annoying nibbling when you're like, these are not the pitchers I want to uh, be nibbling with. And, and like you, I don't want to pretend I am um, any sort of expert as in, in terms of knowing what exactly is going on back there. But the point is, if Yadier Molina gets all that praise for the other stuff, then he absolutely, I totally agree, can get criticized for this. And I would also put some of that criticism on Mike Schilt because not only this, but Yadier Molina has not been hitting well at all for a very long time. And Andrew Kisner has barely played. And we say every year, like, okay, now's the time. I legitimately the other day was like, wait, Andrew Kisner's still on this team, right? Uh, I, yeah. Like, is he, like, <laughs> like double check, see if he's hurt he or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you, you know? Um, Mike Schilt has to start giving Andrew Kisner playing time and more importantly, Yadier Molina some rest. Uh, the eye test tells us this probably needs to happen and the stats do too. So I put a lot of that on Mike Schilt as well and also maybe on all of us for creating this Yadier Molina legend that, you know, is, is indestructible and, ha- and can play every day even when he's 50 years old or whatever. But it's time to see Andrew Kisner back there a little bit more. Not because Yadier Molina is no longer good, but just because that's how you handle a catcher of that age and with that much mileage. Like he Because, needs a to rest. borrow a line from Mike Schilt, that's how the baseball works. <laughs> <Can> I, so <laughs> I, I barely watched any of that press conference. One, because like you, I am not in market. So the minute the game ends, usually so does my feed. And two, I don't think I would have anyway, just because I wanted anything on my television but the Cardinals um, when that happened. Uh, so I, but I did see a few little clips here and there on Twitter, like gifts, Cardinals gifts posted something. I saw a few other things, and you know, certain managers, coaches, or whatever that have juice can get away with a lot more than those who don't. Like we saw that firsthand with Tony Larusa. Uh, he had a certain pedigree, um, whether you like Tony LaRusso or not, you, you couldn't deny the fact that he had a resume that was second to almost none at, at the time that he was still managing. And so he kind of brought that in the press conferences and he could be a jerk um, and treat people poorly. And I'm not defending that, but I think people like sort of kind of gave him a pass because like, look, he's like kind of a walking legend in this field. And maybe it is understandable for him to get annoyed with some of these questions. Um, I barely remember when Mike Ditka, when the bears were still good, when he was the coach was a jerk like that too. And he got away with it because the team was good. The minute the team stopped being good, that stuff gets old very fast. And Mike Ditka got old very, very fast. Well, my, uh, Mike Schilt has never even had that like Mike Dicka phase where it's like, I'm, you know, indestructible. My team is awesome, blah, blah, blah. So I can, and he wasn't, he was by no means being like a huge jerk. Like we've seen 
Larusa be, or certainly a guy like Mike Dicka be, who's just a, I think, a jerk, <laughs> you know, in general. Um, but you know, sitting in that seat, you're going to get asked those questions. You know, you're going to get asked questions that are obvious because for journalists to do their job correctly, they can't just make up quotes from you. So if they're going to be putting things in a paper or they're going to be trying to write a story, yeah, they might ask you a question that seems silly, but they can't just say like, when asked about this, she'll, you know, said this because of course he did. Why would he say anything else? They have to still get an, a real life quote from you. Yeah. You know this. You know, after a tough loss like that, you're going to be asked tough questions about why you did what you did in the ninth inning. Stand it like a manager would, like a professional would, and say, like, here's why I chose what I did. Here's the t- why I made these choices. They did not work out. If given a second chance, maybe I'll do something different, or maybe I wouldn't because I really thought this would work because of X, Y, and Z. You don't get up there and pout like that. You haven't earned the right to do that. Um, I, I just thought it was unbecoming of of Mike Schill. Like, was he not expecting? Uh, like, look, we get you are. We expect you to be upset like that, upset after a loss like that. But we also want. Sh- you to recognize that the fans are going to be upset after a loss like that too. And the media is going to have certain questions because the fans are their readers that they're going to have to ask you after a loss like that. We all should understand this. And there's a way to answer those questions while being upset and showing that you're upset without like passing it off on those asking the question as if they're totally out of line. Because the the few questions I saw were totally legitimate questions. And I forgive me, I don't even remember who the guy was that asked the question, but he seemed to catch the brunt of the um, ire from Schilt. And maybe the fact that I don't know who he is or can't remember who he is, maybe that's why Schilt felt comfortable putting him in his place and it wasn't like uh, Derek Gould or, or whoever. Um, I hope that's not the case, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I, I just thought it was a poor performance following a loss like that. And, and he should do better. The the more I agree, the more I think about it, my take is the questions asked by I believe Kylie is his last name, a radio guy, um, ESPN radio, maybe uh, anyway, um, asked about the pitching decisions were totally fair questions, totally legitimate to ask, hey, Oviedo pitched a pretty good game, took him out with a pretty low pitch count. What was the reason behind that? I think there's a totally fair answer to that as well. I thought, and I thought Schilt's answer was was pretty pretty much fine, right? On paper, I think you know it's fair to ask why did you do it again? Because that guy needs an actual quote, not just a. I assume that he did this because um, it's fair to say, you know, and I even think. Mike Schultz could have elaborated further and said, look, he's been in tough spots before and ended up getting into a situation he couldn't get out of. We wanted to make sure that he left this game feeling like he did his job and he did his job well, whatever it is. You know, there, there, are, there are answers you can give to that question that are totally fair. Um, question about why you don't start the ninth inning with someone other than Luis Garcia. Fine. I mean, I think it's a fairly obvious answer at that point, which is why Mike Schilt went off on it was a 6-1 game. It was a 6-1 game. I get it. Um, but it's a fair question. You know, what was the, the thought process behind doing this instead of something else? Um, I think the frustration we saw from Mike Schilt was also fair in the sense of 
I'm I would be concerned if he wasn't upset by that loss in some way. So I would have been similarly upset with his reaction if he had given us the same lines of, man, they really grinded it out today. Man, they really fought. Man, that was a really to like, no one buys that at this point with a loss like that. So reacting with some level of different emotion, totally fine. Okay with that. But two things bothered me. One was the sort of sarcastic, the fans want to know about a quick hook, as if like, how dare they want to know why a pitcher who was pitching well came out of the game. Okay, Uh, (laughs) your job exists because there are baseball fans. So maybe chill out a little bit on making the fans feel bad about wondering what your thought process was. And the second thing was when he kind of went off on the reporter asking the question about, oh, what would you have done? No, give me a name. Tell me what you would have done. As if, and then when the reporter said, well, that's not my job. And Mike Schultz said, no, it's not your job. (laughs) As if like, he wasn't trying to do your job. He was asking you what your options were, which is your job to respond to as the manager of the team. So the question's totally fine. The Frustration, totally fine. Those are the two pieces of that limited interaction. And again, I did not see the whole post game. I did not see the whole press conference. I don't know what else was asked and what wasn't. Um, but in that that bit that's going around, where he said to the guy, "That's how the baseball works." Um, those are the those are the things that I, I took issue with because it's not the fans' fault that you blew a six one lead in the ninth. Um, and, you know, it's not the reporter's fault for asking about it. So, <laughs> you know that dealing with media is part of your job. Explaining your thought process to the reporters so they can report it to the fans <laughs> is part of your job. Uh, so, I agree. It was it was an, It was probably more of a reaction based on the frustration and disappointment from the loss. But it still came off as a real bad look for Mike Schultz and company following a loss that I think needed some explanation. Yes. Um, and another thing I, well, <laughs> I was frustrated with the TV production last night and, <laughs> and she'll not, I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, I, I assume this is Bally sports and maybe it would, would not have changed had it been the old Fox sports or whoever, like this Bally sports thing like I, all I see is the Budweiser logo which is their not actual their logo and then like these meaningless mostly meaningless little ticker of stats that they keep throwing at us but do you remember when Hayward made that excellent catch to end the inning um uh diving catch I, I want to say seventh or eighth inning I, I I feel like to be fair I was probably watching basketball okay. at that point well, well he made he made a very <laughs> presumed excellent catch in the field and i i have faith that he caught it because jason hayward is still an excellent fielder and is one of the best fielding right fielders perhaps ever um but right when he caught it danny mack was saying you know i don't know if that's a catch that looks like that could be a trap or or something to that effect and the only thing i ever saw giving credence to that might be a trap was gifts posted a screenshot of it where it did kind of look like maybe the ball was trapped. Um, but also like you can never tell from a screenshot versus an actual replay. And I never saw a replay cause they never showed us a replay. And I'm like, how, how do you not, 
how does Bally Sports not show us a replay? Um, and so I wanted someone to ask Schilt, and maybe someone did because I didn't, as I said, I didn't watch the whole press conference. I wanted someone to ask Schilt, like, did you take a good look at that Jason Hayward catch? Did you think about challenging it? Because if he doesn't catch that, th- they may have had an 8 1 lead in the, uh, you know, um, uh, and then we would have won eight to seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, know, who knows? No, we probably then still lose nine, eight somehow, but I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, yeah, it was just, I, I don't know what to say other than it was a crushing loss, not just in the standings, but also just from like the last gasp of hope, maybe not and not even for the team but for like the fans did you see the attendance last night for a cardinals cubs game it did not look great and i don't know how after that you're going to rebound it's going to take a lot they're going to have to win a lot of they're going to have to string together a a lot of good wins following that to i think kind of win the fans trust back and that's kind of a shame because like you said they were starting to put some of those wins together and some things started to look like they were starting to gel Paul Goldschmidt is in the middle. I was hoping we talk about this today. Paul Goldschmidt has a 15-game hitting streak um, where he has like a 210 WRC+. Plus. Uh, KK yep. has, uh, over his last four starts, um, might be kind of smoke and mirrors because he has like a uh, really high le- left-on-base rate. But I feel like that's kind of his game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he's, he's looked really – those are the things like that would have been nice to talk about. But right. when you have a loss like that, it's really hard to focus on anything else but that. It is. So It is. If the team can somehow win these next two games against the Cubs, win tonight against Hendricks, which, as I've said before, feels like never <laughs> happens, but who knows? Maybe it can happen and win tomorrow, then all will sort of feel right and forgotten. Like taking three or and four yet- from the Cubs is pretty big. And yet, I think even if that were to happen, we would still be annoyed because they should. It should have been a sweep. <laughs> yeah, no. Looking back at this game, we're still going to be like, "Oh, they should have. They should have won that Tuesday game." And then you, you really would have felt good about it. One quick question for you before we get to the chirp of the week. I know mm-hmm. that we're already um, getting towards the end of our show time, but. Just a quick question, because you mentioned something in talking about, you know, Garcia in the ninth, then Reyes and the the three batter minimum. I'm really curious, and I would have to go back and look at this to see if there's any, you know, data that really supports one way or the other. I feel like that three batter minimum has been a huge problem for a pitching staff like the Cardinals this year, because you put a guy out there and you can't do anything about it. When you see after the first batter, he's, this is not going well. Um, Do you think it's a significant, uh, just a point of reference of, Hey, things might have gone differently a couple of times if they didn't have to leave a guy out there for three batters because of this rule. Uh, I will say this and how big a difference this makes over 162 games with a staff like this, maybe big, maybe small. I really don't know, but let's say this exact same game is playing out 10 years ago. Um, so before the rule and while Tony La Russa is our manager, both those things are, are, you know, those two factors are in play. We win that game. Yeah. He, uh, Reyes is not around long enough to, um, to, and, and, 
let's be fair. We can all rattle. I know we can rattle off like times where like Ryan Franklin was out longer and he should have been, or even Larusa this year doing something, you know, there was a big thing yeah. a month or two ago about Larusa leaving in a pitcher too long. Like I'm not, he's not infallible. We we've talked about that many times, but I, I think without that three batter minimum and with Larusa at the helm, I say, I say both those things. Cause I've, I don't totally trust Schilt to, pull a guy when he needs to be pulled. I think yeah. just like I didn't trust Matheny all the time to do it or almost never trusted Matheny to do it. Uh, I still don't totally trust Schilt, but I usually did trust Larusa. Didn't mean he was always, didn't mean he was perfect at it, but I had more trust in him than I didn't. Uh, and I don't feel that way about Schilt. So it certainly doesn't help a team when you, it certainly doesn't help a team like this, which has, clear command issues and um, closing in. Now, I think we're two thirds of the way there to that walk record with the bases loaded, you know, I said, and I, so I, and you know, we still have more than a third of the season left. So I think we can really pull that one out. That might be what we're watching in September. <laughs> there you, go. you said, you said, what are we going to be watching in September? You know, if we yeah. have yeah. those pictures, we still pay attention to that. So yeah, it's it's not a rule that's going to benefit a, a team like yeah. this. I just but, I, I think it's a big deal. I think it's mm-hmm. not a big deal that you're ever going to re- really be able to validate and and prove. And I think you're right about Mike Schilt. It may be less of a big deal with a Mike Schilt team than you know some other team where a, a manager is going to be a little quicker to pull a guy when you know he's not right. But I do think it's a big deal because I think sometimes that third batter is when an inning really gets away from you. Um, and if you walk two guys or you hit somebody and walk another guy and then all of a sudden you're just desperate to throw strikes, I think it's a big deal. <laughs> and I don't know if it has showed up the same way for other teams, but I've I've thought about it a lot as of late in terms of man this is a situation where they probably would do something different if they could but they can't and right. I, it, conversely i think sometimes it's the reason why a starter gets left in longer because you don't really want the guy in the bullpen to have to face the next three guys so you kind of hold off to see if you can work your way through us it just i think it i think it plays with the whole thing and like i said I'm going to make it a short question. We can talk more about that later if it comes up again. But I do think it's interesting, especially in light of the way Tuesday night went and um, thinking back to some of those <laughs> bullpen meltdowns that maybe wouldn't have been without that rule in place. Anyway, lots that you can think about and reflect on and <laughs> question your life choices about becoming a sports fan <laughs> after Tuesday night. Uh, and on that note, we're going to allow Alex to, I don't know, cheer us up, make us feel worse about life uh, with the trip of the week. Your call. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if this will cheer you up or make you feel worse or make you feel about the same. Uh, probably make you feel about the same. But because of last night's, uh, I don't, again, I don't know how many times we have to say this, awful loss, just awful loss. Um, and I said earlier, I think this is one of their worst losses of the last 10 years, if not the worst, talking regular season, that is. Um, you know, it's certainly not worse than the Michael Waka game because of context, but just of what happened on the field and ignoring everything else, this was a terrible loss. So I started thinking, well, I, I didn't start thinking, it immediately made me think of this game that happened late in the 2011 season against the Mets on a Thursday afternoon. Um, now, because I said late in, the sept- late in the 2011 season, that means the Cardinals were nearing the end of their mad dash 
to maybe somehow salvage a playoff spot, which looked like it was an impossibility merely a few weeks before. But the Cardinals entered this date. It was September 22nd, 2011, this Thursday afternoon game against the Mets. They were 86 and 69 and just a game and a half out of the wild card spot because, you know, the Braves were in, had were kind of starting their free fall or whatever. Um, and they were four and a half back of the Brewers in the Central. And, and there were only uh, seven games ago. So the Central was looking like it was a lost cause. Um, but the Braves were idle this day. So there was a thought like, beat the Mets today. And you go into the last six games of the year, only down, only one game back. And then that's a real possibility that you could overtake them or at the very least maybe get a one game, you know, play in type type thing with the Braves, something like that. Well, once you know it, Tara, the Cardinals in this game against the Mets had a late 6-1 lead. <laughs> you know, it looked Imagine like that. they were going to win the game. Uh, they, you know, that 6-1 lead's a pretty, pretty sizable lead, especially when the opposing team doesn't have many outs left. Uh, um, but in the eighth inning, the Mets scored a run. So entering the ninth, it was only a 6-2 lead. So it mm. wasn't quite as, I guess, solid as last night's <laughs> lead. But still, 6-2, a pretty good lead. And let me tell you how this inning then unfolded. Jason Mott who we all love, is on the mound um, to start the inning. And Willie Harris is up. And Willie Harris walks on six pitches. Uh, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, Good start. Good next start. batter, Nick Evans, reaches on an error, uh, <laughs> an error by the shortstop. Uh, also sounds slightly familiar, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, so <laughs> runners on first and second, no outs. Jason Mott is still on the mound. And Josh Thole is up. Uh don't feel bad if you don't remember these names. They're Mets <laughs> after all, and this was 10 years ago. Uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, but Josh Thole then comes up and hits a fly ball to center field. He flies out. Uh, so now we have runners still on first and second, one out. Cardinals have a 6-2 lead. We're looking like we're in very good shape. And then Jason Pretty, P-R-I-D-I-E. Does that name ring a bell? No. No, <laughs> not with me either. He comes up to face Mott. And uh, he walks on five pitches. So now, now it's starting to look not so great. Uh, base is loaded. And that dreaded tying run up, tying run comes to the plate. I hate the tying run. It, it, I, it doesn't matter how big of a lead the Cardinals can have. They could have a 12 nothing lead going in the bottom of the ninth. And I will be convinced that tying run will come to the plate. It doesn't mean the Cardinals <laughs> are going to lose. But that tying run is going to make an appearance. Um, so now Justin Turner, we do know Justin Turner. Justin Turner comes up representing the tying run at the plate. Base is loaded. Still a 6-2 lead. And he walks. Jason Mott walks him with the bases loaded. Walks in a run. It is now 6-3. One out. Bases loaded for Jose Reyes. Cardinals take out Mott. And they bring in uh, Scrabble. We remember Scrabble as well. We do. We do. He, on the second pitch of the at-bat, gives up a single to Jose Reyes, and Evans scores on that. Um, who the heck is Evans? Oh, yeah, Nick Evans, Nick, the guy who reached on the air earlier. Uh, Evans <laughs> scores. I, I'm, I'm doing this off baseball reference, by the way. I'm kind of <laughs> stealing uh, Cardinals off days, you know, box score of your uh, format. But I thought this was appropriate for today. Jose Reyes singles. Evans scores. Um 
pretty to third, Turner to second. So bases are still loaded with one out, and it is now six to four. And speaking of what we were just talking about, Scrabble is done. He faces one Mm. batter, throws two pitches, and he is yanked. Uh, You know, that could have been a matchup thing or whatever, or maybe Tony just really didn't like what he saw, but he only faces one batter, and we bring in Fernando Salas, who is facing Ruben Tejada, who we also know, not not the most illustrious Cardinal career, uh, but he was a Cardinal for for a brief, brief time. Uh, Ruben Tejada comes up, and he hits a double. He hits a double with the bases loaded. Pretty scores, if I'm even saying his name right. Justin Turner scores. Reyes goes to third. Now runners are in second and third. Still only one out, and the game is tied. Um, Angel Pagan comes up, intentional walks, the base, and we intentionally walk the bases loaded to get to David Wright, uh, who's, for, who's facing Fernando Salas. David Wright strikes out. So, okay, it's 6-6. This is not good. But get out of this inning and just walk them off, you know, walk them off next inning and we can all feel great and go home. Not unlike that Cardinals game against the Cubs a couple years ago where they blew that lead in the ninth and then Matt Carpenter hit a home run and, you know, all seemed right with the world. Um, so, so after David Wright strikes out, we have two outs, still bases loaded. Willie Harris comes up to, against Fernando Salas and hits a single to right field. And Reyes scores and Tejada scores. And all of a sudden it's 8-6 Mets. And the inning finally ends with the next batter, Nick Evans, who we already know because he already batted this inning um, when Nick Evans flies out to center field. So now the Mets have an 8-6 lead, and the Cardinals go down in the bottom of the ninth with Nick Punto, Daniel Descalzo, and Yadier Molina. Not exactly murderer's row. <laughs> and uh, they go down without a whimper um, and uh, no protest whatsoever, and they lose 8-6, to game over. So now... Because the Cardinals blow this game, instead of just being one game behind the Braves, heading into basically the last week of baseball, they are now two games back with six games to go. That seems too big to overcome, or it seems like it'd be very hard to overcome. And I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, and we said this a lot during this, <laughs> during these couple of weeks, months, whatever. All right, that was fun, but it's probably over. Uh, Cardinals two games back of the Braves, six to go. Luckily, the Cardinals won four of their last six games against the Cubs and the Astros. That includes the Carlos Marmel, uh, Adron Chambers game, the very first game I ever went to at at New Bush. And the Cardinals win four of their last six games. Braves go one and five. So... (laughs) And that's the thing when you're when you have a team that's streaking um, like that to try to make the playoffs, it takes kind of two to tank mm-hmm. go. You know, you can be on whatever role you want to be, but if you don't have another team collapsing to help yeah. you out, if, it's probably if Atlanta not- doesn't collapse. The Cardinals don't make the playoffs. Absolutely, it, it's kind yeah. of similar to I guess 2018 when the Cardinals kind of made a mad dash, but the Brewers were better. And the Cubs right. weren't bad enough to, you know, <laughs> pop up a wild card spot. So, yeah, it was fun that the Cardinals played well, but it ended up, you know, because they didn't really have a partner in crime who was mm-hmm. who was doing their job. They they ended up staying home that that October. Well, the Cardinals did not, as we know, they didn't have to play. They didn't have to play a play-in game against the Braves because the Braves were so bad that the Cardinals ended up winning ninety games, and the Braves only won eighty-nine. And the Cardinals, um, you know game ahead of them, and then we all know what happens after that. And it's just amazing to think that 
basically a month and a week after this game occurred, the Cardinals are winning the World Series. Um, when it seemed like such an impossibility so many times. But yeah, I was thinking about this game because I, I remember having that same feeling with this game. I, I, it, I think there was a long rain delay at some point in this game too. So even though it was a Thursday afternoon game, it went kind of late and there was like a happy hour at work and I'm doing that thing where I'm checking it on my phone. You know when you're watching your team collapse on your phone and you're just praying like, no, just show me that out. Just show yeah. me that third out, yeah. please. Like I have no. And you're idea. with you're with people, and you're like, I cannot. Yes. Show you all how much this is actually affecting me they're at the moment. Talking, but they're talking, but you're not really in. No. you're not really in their world right now. Yeah. Like like they could yeah. be talking about God knows what, and you're just and you're more just worried about like, okay, is uh, has enough time passed where I can take the phone out of my pocket again without right. looking fully rude? <laughs> see what's going on, and when I do take the phone out of my pocket, can it please just show me three outs? Like, and like, how am I going to react if yeah, it's bad news? Yeah, yeah. And then I, but I remember pulling it out and seeing eight six and being like, "Ah, oh, it's over." Um, but it wasn't over. Um, conversely, this year it's probably over. <laughs> so you heard it here first. Cardinals going to win the World Series. <laughs> that's what um, that's what the takeaway well, is here, right? Obviously, that does remind me of a tweet I enjoyed earlier today. Um, let me tell you. Uh, it's from Bill Dozier uh, at VFN. He says, uh, he wrote, last night was just one game. STL cards still can win the series, and that would be fine. It's not a time to give up on 2021 unless you already have. And then in parentheses, he writes, which I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well played. Well played. I mean, I think that's the, the way to be least disappointed at this point is <laughs> just to, you know, have have no hopes <laughs> yes yes none at all um so on that cheery note we're gonna leave you for this week um and you know who knows what we'll have to to share and to discuss this time next week uh, if it's more of a collapse or if this is the the spark that changes uh -huh. things i don't think any uh, of us really anticipate I, that i could not laugh when you said it, or if this is the spark that gets it's me fair yeah. you know i just like i just like providing the options for people to feel their own feelings uh despite our level of um discouraging <laughs> conversation on this podcast that everyone's gonna love so much so thanks for listening uh, let us know if you have thoughts, opinions, ideas, questions about the Home Run Derby or about uh, the three batter minimum rule, if you think it's a big deal or not. And maybe we'll discuss it again on another episode when we run out of other things to say. We've gone very far from our let's find nice things to say about the Cardinals <laughs> show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. And that was just a couple of weeks ago. That is how how things have uh, well, how things have developed. Well, hey, we were saying nice thing about the Cardinals. Uh, the way that should work is, and they should be nice to us. But they were not That's nice true. to us, so we uh, <laughs> they didn't keep up their end of the bargain. They have not returned the favor, no. and this is the result. So. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening. Uh, Misery loves company, right? So that's that's what we're going for at this point in the season. And we'll be back at it again next week. For Alex, I'm Tara. Thanks for listening. This has been Chirps. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>